Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. So what I wanted to talk about today um, is this term that we throw around in mindfulness practice all the time. We always hear the definition of mindfulness is what? Who, what's the definition of mindfulness? Present moment, right? Being present moment without judgment, without judgment non-judgmental awareness, right? And um, I was reading a quote from Ajahn Kuranana Mana Karananda Dhamma. <laughs> Whatever. Um, and he was talking about how um, they're in a monastery and they're working all day and practicing and that um, to look at the hindrances um, the difficulties that come up, which we've talked about for a while, um, we have to pay attention and work with them because they underlie the tendencies of greed, hatred, and delusion. Um, and we learn to start to work with them in a constructive way. Um, and if we can be with these mind states, we can watch its rising, its maintaining, its passing, and uh, we need to develop a straightforward, non-judgmental awareness of our mindset. And um, as I was reading this, I realized um, it's not that easy to develop a straightforward, non-judgmental awareness. Most of the time, our awareness is judgmental. There's a lot of mental internal chatter that's evaluating and weighing and adding us up and talking to us whether we're doing good, bad, we're okay, not okay, other people are okay, situations are okay. There's a constant stream of evaluations. So how do we get to um, non-judgmental awareness? Right? A steady stream, a straightforward non-judgmental awareness. Not so easy. This mind likes to evaluate, to know where we are. It's a sense of self, right? So I wanted to talk about that today and um, I want to start with a poem by David White called um, Tilikio Lake. In this high place, it is, it is as simple as this. Leave everything you know behind. Step toward the cold surface. Say the old prayer of rough love and open both arms. Those who come with empty hands will stare into the lake astonished. There in the cold light, reflecting pure snow, the true shape of your own face. So, in mindfulness practice, we effort 
and sometimes we non-effort to drop the mind. All right, we tell you get into the body, get into the breath, get into the senses, be here now. And yet there's a part of us that maybe is threatened with the emptiness, with the lack of chatter. We don't know where that is. It could be frightening, right? The prayer of rough love. Yesterday I was trying to find some quiet space to write a Dharma talk. And I, I had a lot of errands, I was running around and traveling quite a bit. Um, and I had a meeting in the morning. Um, and I stopped at a little coffee shop. And um, found a little patio, got a cup of tea. I'm going to sit down and write this talk. You know, reflected on the meeting. Eh, not so good, right? I got the cup of tea sitting outside, a cool breeze, and no sooner did I try to come up with a talk or write a talk, about three or four women came down and sat next to me on the patio and started talking. And my mind, my uh, judgmental awareness, <laughs> started to talk, and, you know, too. Like, oh, going to be noisy. I'm not going to think. Where can I go? There's no quiet. You know, you've had that talk, right? That you're arguing with your conditions right away. The conditions aren't right, and the mind is telling a nice story. And then there's some agitation, right? I was sitting there, and I started to listen to these women talk. My cup of tea. And they had just returned. They were teachers. And they had just returned from a teacher trip that they took, an educator trip to um, New York City. And um, one by one, they were describing their experience as a teacher. And one was working in the Bronx in um, some very dilapidated poor schools with difficult conditions. Another one was working in um, rural Texas, where children are coming in very hungry and without basic needs. And um, another one is teaching in uh, South Central LA, and they were describing the day-to-day -day difficulty of trying to work with children with so many needs and so little resources. And um, I really got caught in the conversation because um, underlying the difficulties that they were describing, there was a palpable feeling of love and commitment and strength and service. And it just hit my heart, you know, just beautiful. And um, I couldn't think of a better condition to write a Dharma talk in, you know, I could feel the love. and. Um, I was sitting there listening to them, um, and I could just feel the sweetness, the stillness of that moment, of the being there with the cup of tea, and the warm breeze, and listening to um, the beauty of, of everyday people showing up to difficult circumstances with dedication this space of the heart, it just drew me inside. It was a sweet moment. 
a beautiful moment of stillness just came over like that just like that you know um, and it reminded me of a quote that I'll read you from Byron Katie who's um, an Advaita teacher a non-dual teacher and um, the student asked her you know I just believe that life is meaningless that's my experience I just can't find any meaning and Katie in her way of working with people says so life is meaningless is that true is that true and the student says I just can't find any meaning that's the way it feels and Katie says is that true life is totally meaningful for me and the student says not so much for me and Katie says the meaning of life for me is to simply sit here with you it never gets more complicated than that it's just so close that you don't recognize it what is the meaning of life for me it's to sit here that's it to sit until I walk it's pretty simple stuff what is life's purpose to sit here with you reminded of that moment you know sitting there in the coffee shop life's purpose was to sit with these women and eavesdrop <laughs> you know that was it it was pretty full right it was a pregnant pleasant moment or present moment right it was full it was rich and it was a there there moment and um, it reminded me of um, one of our friends, uh, Carly, who was telling me a story about um, student teaching in a class with children with disabilities, and she had never done that before. And there was a boy there who's autistic and couldn't speak, and uh, she had never worked with children with this particular disability. And her mind, you know, non-judgmental mind, right? The judgmental mind was sort of having a party there like oh my god what do these parents do and what will this child do and how could I help this child and how does his mom get through a day and you know and, and what can I add and you know what can how do we do you know the mind will chatter about everything and in that moment everything dropped for her you know everything dropped the mind got very still in the presence of this child and for a moment or two or three what was there was um, just there just there with this child this moment in this moment as it is accepting the way it was being with it fully and she said she felt this barrier between her and the child lift and all that was left was love for this child presence and she really got that it wasn't about her you know, it wasn't about her at all. It was just service. It was just giving from this place of love. Just being with. And her, she felt so full. And not even a person. Just love. Just this. Just love. We all have those moments, don't we? Everybody does. And yet, and we, we come here, I believe, because we want more of those moments. 
right? And yet, in order to um, sustain and um, open to these moments, we have to give up something. This conflict-driven, evaluative little <coughs> chatter in there, this sense of me through evaluating. And we'll, I'll talk more about that. Do you get that sense? This evaluator that tells me who I am and who you are in every moment. And whether it's good or bad, or is this worthy of me or not worthy of me, or am I worthy, or are you worthy, you're unworthy. So, um, we say we want this, but it does take some effort. And we'll talk about that in the Buddhist practice, what is that effort. And um, my, my first meditation teacher, and um, we talked about her last Saturday at the teacher authorization ceremony, and I want to thank the people that came and sent good wishes. It was really um, a beautiful moment. But this teacher from the Hindu lineage, um, what she liked to say about practice was that their self-effort is necessary and then the rest is grace. So those coffee shop moments, the moment with the autistic student, the moments that we have, they're very much filled with grace. But there is also effort. So let's talk about what is that effort that brings us to grace. This is a quote um, from a Soto Zen master. Um, and it's called, Your Own Square Inch. Do not wait expectantly for a later day to become enlightened. You just must sit toward yourself and turn inward to your own square inch of mind. Search there and do not seek elsewhere. If you do such a thing, hundreds of thousands of teachings and boundless matters concerning the Buddhas will all flow out of this and will fill heaven and earth. It is important to avoid seeking the way externally. It is nothing but trusting the self. Fetching and carrying away for countless eons, never for an instant being apart from the self. Still, if you do not know of its existence, you are like someone bearing it in their hands and looking for it east and west. However much confusion this may seem to be, it is nothing but forgetting the self. Today, when we sit, see it fully, the wonderful way of the Buddhas and the separate transmission of the patriarchal cult teachers consists in all of this, so never doubt it. And it goes on. So your own square inch. We're never far away from your own square inch of mind. And this is where the self-effort is. Um, so... I want to focus a little bit on um, that square inch in terms of the judging mind. And there's a great article that I read recently um, on this subject, and I'll give you the name of the teacher in a moment. Um, and he talks about judging mind versus a discerning mind. 
we need discernment in our lives. We need to know um, when to pull back, when to speak, when to take action, um, skillful action. So there needs to be a discernment. But a lot of us rely um, on this internal chatter you know, that is talking about us and to us as we do things. You know that chatter? Right? So, um, it's a very habitual and compulsive chatter. And uh, the writer of this article, and I'm going to try to find his name for you in a moment, um, was talking about going on a three-month retreat. And um, you're meditating and walking all day long for many long, long hours a day. Sit, walk, sit, walk. There's one Dharma talk. Um, and then there are the meal breaks. And he found himself going into uh, the cafeteria. And so you're not in formal meditation, but the instruction is to eat mindfully, to stay in the body, follow your breath. And he's, what he saw himself doing was looking at the other meditators through the corner of his eye, because you're not supposed to look at anybody, so you have to gaze down and then look to the left or the right. I've done it many times, you know. And um, he would just watch his mind um, go, oh, she changed her socks. It's been three days. <laughs> he took a second helping. Uh, her helping is really large. He just got in front of her. Uh-oh, if he eats all the cucumber salad, nothing will be left. When is he going to take off that hat? I wonder if he shampooed his hair. You know, and it just went on like that, right? And um, he realized that this is kind of the, what happens in the mind all day. All right, it's either judging inward or it's judging outward, and it's very compulsive. And what this is doing is what? It's taking you out of that present moment, that space of the heart, this beingness. It's just being with, just being, the beautiful lake, right? Um, and he got to see the game. So after he discovered this mind chatter through evaluating everybody getting food, he decided that he'd take his food and then he'd turn and face the window to turn the mind, right? There was the effort, right? The self-effort. I am turning away from this habit. I'm moving away and I'm turning my attention. And he ate looking at the tree for his three-month meditation to, um, because he woke up to the chatter and he woke up to what was happening and the cost that he was paying on his retreat. <clears throat> and we could do that too. Not so easy, but we can do that too. And notice when the mind, through its judging, takes you away from you. It takes you away from your body, away from feeling grounded and centered, and away from just being with the way things are. So um, it's chattering about what we cling to, what we want as condition. We always want certain conditions. And um, it's talking about opinions, who we are through opinion, right? 
I'm somebody who likes a hot shower. I'm somebody who, who likes dark blend of coffee. And if I don't get that, it's not a good day because that's who I am, right? I'm somebody who doesn't like to be woken up at four in the morning by a college-age child, <laughs> young man, right? That's who I am, right? So um, when we're doing this, yes, it did happen yesterday. <laughs> but, um, so it's the mind that knows who we are, and it's defining us. And we become solidified, and the people around us solidify, especially when we don't like them. You know, when we don't like them, we have a judgment. We're freezing them like ice. They're solidified. And we're solidified. And we're stuck in the story. And then we play it over and over again. And we get to be who we are, and they get to be who they are, frozen in time. And why is this important in a Buddhist practice is that in it we maintain our suffering, our stress. Right? We maintain the suffering and we need to be able to see the suffering in these patterns in what we do when we're holding these judgments and freezing them in time. We're not seeing necessarily the impermanent nature of ourselves and others and life as it's flowing through. So, um, but it's an addiction and it really takes commitment, effort and practice. It's an addiction. We love to evaluate. We love to make um, judgments, snap judgments, and then we depend on them for our security. I once asked this of Marianne Williamson. Do you ever hear her, The Course in Miracles? She's been teaching for 30, 40 years. And it was like 30 years ago I asked her this question. I said to her, I was very young, I said, you know, I have to admit when I meet people for the first time, I really um, depend on a judge snap judgment and instinct. I know who they are the minute I speak to them, the minute I see them, the minute they talk, I know. Something in me knows, and I go on that. And I said to her, is that okay? <laughs> right? Is that okay to do that? And she said, um, she said, the moment you do that, you close your heart. The moment you do that, you close your heart. Let that go. Well, like all judgments and all the ways we protect and defend ourselves, um, not so easy to do that. It is a form of protection. It is a form of control. Control we really don't have, right? So it's not so easy to do that. It's like a little addiction. This is how I control my life and you. Right? But by doing that, I put up a wall and a barrier. I shut the heart down. I shut down this present moment awareness. And um, this is where um, what we call the defilements, um, these um, greed, hatred, delusion, right? This is where the difficulties come in, the prejudices, um, all the values that we're collecting that separate us, this us and them mentality that is very hurtful in our culture, right? It comes from just this. So, um, 
but there's security in clinging to our idea of the person, right? And um, even though comparing is painful, evaluating, judging, creating distance, you know, the little superiority we have when we feel better than others and someone is less than, there's a little joy in that, isn't there? You know, or a little control, just a little joy, a little joy there. We're shutting down the door of the heart. And for some reason, even though we want present moment, we want an open heart, um, we want to feel no separation, we want to feel joy, somehow we focus on the conflict, the separation, the distance, and the suffering. Our mind will go there if we're not pulling the mind back. Right? If we're not taking the mind back, that's where our mind likes to go because it feels safe there. And um, a lot of relating we do with other people is um, we share our judgments and our grievances and then we agree with each other. And that feels good. That often feels like intimacy and closeness. If we could both share what's going wrong, um, and if it's about another person, even better, right? And we're both in agreement, and that other person gets you and nods, like that feels so good, doesn't it? Right? It feels like closeness and security. Uh, so it's a way of relating and finding ourselves, defining ourselves and being a person, you know, but at a cost. <clears throat> the other thing about the judgments that are outside of us is that um, when we're judging somebody, we're not seeing them. In Buddhist terms, we like to say that um, everything is kind of based on conditions. Each moment has a million and billion tiny conditions that bring us here, right? We all got here based on 10 million conditions. I was supposed to be in New York for the rest of my life. Somehow I'm in Long Beach. <laughs> a lot of conditions, right? And all of you have stories like that, even how you're here today. And so our mind, to protect ourselves when something goes wrong or somebody harms us, we set up a wall and judge. But we don't see that their action is based on 10 million conditions. Their vulnerability, their pain, how they got here, and everything that brought them to this moment. It's we freeze. And we're very vulnerable, right? We're vulnerable. That's why we do it. It's not like um, we're doing it for not a good reason. I uh, like this quote, attend to your sensitivity. A flower cannot be opened with a hammer. You know, we have to see the vulnerability, right? A flower cannot be opened with a hammer. But to see that we're dealing with this intense sensitivity of being alive and of protecting ourselves. So, so this is the opportunity, the effort is seeing where we're focusing and putting our attention, right? 
knowing where the mind is going. And then with the mindfulness practice, right, landing on it, your square inch, what am I doing? What's happening here? And then having some choice. If you want to keep your attention on judging and separating and evaluating and defending and closing your heart and pushing away, or if you want to um, expand the mind, reframe. And the way we do that, there are many ways to do it in, in Buddhist practice, but one way is with loving-kindness phrases in metta. And I did this um, not too long ago, an example of this. I'm trying to find that. Um, so Aline and I are in an inquiry group, so we'll do a kind of meditative dialogue with each other. As um, part, it's really to me part of it's part of a meditation. And um, <clears throat> so three or four people will sit together, and um, when somebody's speaking, they're the meditation object. So it's your undivided, non-judgmental awareness holding them to explore something. And when that person is speaking, they're really speaking embodied with a sense of their body and um, feeling into the body and really just unpacking what's happening in the present moment. And I find that practice very, very beautiful personally. But one thing I noticed when I um, was engaging in this dialogue, when I'm the person listening, my mind was not silently listening at all. This is where the effort comes in, right? Um, my mind was, in fact, evaluating whether I didn't intend on doing that. It, I didn't mean to do it. Minds tend to evaluate. That's what they do. They just evaluate. So there wasn't a strong mindfulness present pulling that back. And I started to notice that the mind was just chattering about the person, the topic. It could have been about their necklace or the clothing. I mean, it could have been about anything, their shoes. Uh, but the mind was sort of engaging in this chatter. And um, once I landed on that, once the awareness landed on that, I started to instead um, do the metaphrases toward that person, right? May you be peaceful, may you be safe, may you be happy, may you be well, may you be, as a way to hold the mind and see this person with here and not here, to drop here. And I noticed that um, as I did that, um, the love between myself and the person, the space between myself and the person just dissolved. The field opened in love, and it, it was almost like a little effort towards love is a lot of grace. You could feel it in the moment of, of just that dissolving and moving here opens a field of love for people. Mm -hmm. Just that much. Just that much. Just that much sweetness. Right? It doesn't take much. Chris Gerner likes to say, um, give yourself the attention you need so that you don't need so much attention. <laughs> right? 
your square inch your square inch I love collecting Dharma stories and and I get to collect them sitting here and um, someone was telling me about um, at work um, someone in her business they got a big promotion you know and um, she's practicing her Dharma right and she heard about the promotion and you know she thought well, well maybe this person should have gotten it maybe not um, didn't have any real strong feelings there were reasons to, uh, to, to say yes they should have had it no maybe they shouldn't have had it but she really landed on joy sympathetic joy mudita oh somebody got what they wanted and I'm gonna celebrate that I'm gonna be happy you know I'm gonna share in the joy of that right it's like dropping the judgment and joy I'm, I'm happy for you I may I may let's share this joy together this happiness it's a beautiful way of being and then a co-worker came into our office closed the door I have to tell you something you know you ever hear that have those co-workers that have to tell you something have you been the co-worker that has to tell I have <laughs> I must admit and this person said I'm not going to the party you know and um, my my friend said well why why it's kind of nice to have a party around here and she said so-and-so doesn't deserve it <laughs> you know <laughs> she didn't earn it <laughs> and there's a whole list of reasons why this person didn't earn it and um, my friend it hadn't occurred to my friend to not go to the party and celebrate enjoy and and really invest in why they earned it or didn't earn it life is filled with conditions and she said but 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 if you go then we could just celebrate and be joyful and this person looked at her no I'm taking myself to lunch you know I'm not going you know and and this is a really great example of everyday Dharma you know everyday Buddhism right in the workplace and this friend said wow I didn't realize how sweet Mudita was how sweet it is to celebrate in other people's joy without my story without being the CEO of the world right I don't have to decide whether somebody should have gotten it or didn't get it or was worthy of it I'm just gonna celebrate in that they got what they wanted how great is that right? how great is that so we get to choose and we get to choose by paying attention to our square inch right? and some of the things we get to look at is um, are we building a wall between ourselves and others and what is the cost right? do we need the wall oh gosh I just heard Reagan say Mr. Gorbachev tear down that wall <laughs> <laughs> we won't talk about walls right now <laughs> sometimes these judgments are like a drippy faucet you know that faucet that leaks that you think I've got to call the plumber or I've got to tighten that I got to stop the leak the judgments throughout the day they're just like the drippy faucet dripping energy away from being here taking us away from full presence you know and even sensing that when we fix the faucet or we pay attention right when we stop the drip the mental chatter this square inch that what is left strength creativity 
wisdom, tranquility, calm, quiet, empty space, a greater capacity to love. Um, when we let go of us, a evaluative story of who we are, what we like, what we don't like, what we need, why this moment isn't good, and that moment isn't good, and that one isn't good. Um, we're literally um, lifting off this security blanket, this attachment to self, right? We're literally opening up, we're getting rid of, we're walking away from the security of that mental chatter for something deeper, greater. And if we want the peace and we don't want the conflict, then we tend to the square inch. We tend to that square inch. And then I really feel that we can become this warrior of love, you know, this warrior of service. and this warrior of peace. And we can feel perhaps maybe this real strength from within, from calm and ease. So I'll read one more quote and then we'll end. And this is from Francis Lucille, another non-dual teacher. Real meditation is spontaneous. It is pure welcoming. Because there is no choosing of whatever appears in the field of consciousness, there's no selection. There's only choiceless allowing, be it of external perceptions, feelings, body sensations, thoughts, or their absence. Everything is equally allowed to come into existence. Not as a practice, but because the mind has understood its own limitations. That is all the truth seeker needs to do. No further spiritual practice needs to be undertaken. In this openness, we live in the now. There's nothing to gain, nothing to lose. Awareness is not something to be acquired at the end of a process. We already have all we need. So, in this time, that's difficult, right? There's so much difficulty. I think about Paris Accord, no. Healthcare, no. Immigration, no. All the no's of this time. We need to hold on to strength, to love, kindness, integrity caring, warmth, no walls. So we come back to the teachings, yeah? We come back to ourself. Step towards the cold surface. Say the old prayer of rough love and open both arms.
Those who come with empty hands will stare into the lake astonished. There in the cold light, reflecting pure snow, is the true shape of your own face. (coughs) So closing your eyes for a moment. And coming into the body. Just feeling the energy of the body. The energy of the room. The sweetness of the space that we share together on Sunday mornings. Let's see if we could find a space of the heart, some openness of the heart. Find your words, find your vow. Find this message to your own heart, your square inch. Maybe it's a vow to send yourself loving kindness, to send others you make contact with loving kindness. Maybe it's a vow to pause and feel into the body throughout the day, to drop a wall to let go of a grievance, whatever it is for you. Taking a moment or two just to feel what's needed in your own heart. with gratitude, with appreciation, with kindness. Give yourself an intention, a vow, a focus. And as you move forward with your intention, with your vow, grace, the practice will follow double fold. Just listen to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.